Welcome to the CEO Sales Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Hughes, and I am so excited to bring you real-world insights from legendary CEOs on how to drive and sustain top-line growth and create a customer-centric culture. Whether you're an aspiring or seasoned corporate leader, you'll hear wisdom with real-world application that can make a real difference in your business. But we also provide insights here for sales professionals seeking to elevate to the C-suite. As a seller, you'll better understand how a CEO actually thinks and what it really takes to earn a conversation. Let's jump in with this episode's CEO. Welcome everybody. I'm Tony Hughes, co-founder and sales innovation director at Sales IQ Global. And welcome to the CEO Sales Insights Show. Uh, I'm really excited about the guest that we have today, uh, Max McLaren from Red Hat. I'll introduce Max formally in a few minutes. Sales IQ Global brings you the CEO Sales Insights Show. We've got a brilliant course that specializes in helping sellers fill their top of funnel opportunity pipeline. The conversation we'll have today with Max McLaren will really help you do that. So I really encourage you to take notes. So I'll bring Max in in a moment, but just to introduce Max, uh, Max is Regional Vice President and General Manager Australia and New Zealand for Red Hat Asia Pacific. And Red Hat is without doubt the global leader in open source software. Some of the biggest banks in the world, actually most of the biggest banks in the world, biggest government departments, corporations are using Red Hat to drive down costs, to improve operational efficiency, to be able to division, to be able to deliver innovation to market faster, just an amazing business. And Max himself has over 35 years experience in leading and managing tech sales and marketing teams worldwide. He's been leading Red Hat Australia and New Zealand for over 15 years. Prior to that, an amazing career with IBM. He's an executive who is proud of the fact that he's built successful teams, and I've had the privilege of working with his teams for many years. Amazing, positive team and sales culture, very customer-centric. But Max has done a brilliant job in attracting and retaining the best talent in the marketplace, as well as driving the attainment of goals with focused, regular review for execution. And, and I know that Max has been one of the highest-performing managers within the Red Hat organization globally. So with any further ado, I'll actually bring Max in. Max, welcome and thanks for giving us your time today. It's a pleasure, Tony. Good to be here. Mate, thank you. Would you mind providing a, a little bit of a brief overview of Red Hat and the value proposition and also how you go to market, what, what your organization looks like, just to contextualize the conversation today? Sure. So Red Hat's been around for just shy of 30 years, 1993 we started, and we started out with putting... Uh, you know, for some of the younger fellas, they won't remember these days, but used to stick CDs on the front of magazines and send those out. And that's how you got your, your Red Hat Linux. And then, <clears throat> you know, some smart people in the organization, one of which is still here, Paul Cormier, who runs the, the organization now, figured out that enterprises could run this stuff. It wasn't a hobbyist sort of thing. And so we started doing the whole testing of making sure that Linux would work with hardware and software. And that was the kickoff of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And that was in about 2002. And that really was the start of, of Red Hat as we know it today. And to your point, you know, it's become a five billion odd business now. And I would say about 60% of that business is probably Linux. I'm talking about in the ANZ context, I'm not quite sure of exactly worldwide, but you know, we've since then acquired 
a middleware technology organization called JBoss and evolved that over many years. We acquired other organizations, for example, the virtualization engine that is in OpenStack KVM and evolved that into a virtualization play and then OpenStack and the world built sort of a private cloud solution based on, on, on that. Probably the biggest acquisition was a small little technology that we started, a little, almost sandpit where developers could come and start developing online. And that's evolved into our container platform, OpenShift, leveraging the power of, of containers like Docker, but, but a variety of others. And of course, Kubernetes is the orchestration engine that we worked with Google in, in making a reality. And, and then Ansible, our automation technology, which we acquired in about 2011 and has now become the largest automation of effectively compute, storage, security, and a variety of other automation processes integrating into other technologies. So a variety of technologies. And effectively what we do is we make open source consumable. Originally, as you said, we just drove down cost. We were a good enough alternative to some of those very expensive proprietary solutions. But I think over time, you know, open source has attracted developers. And as a result, a lot of the innovation in the world now happens in the, in the open source community. And Red Hat, because we're so connected to those communities, is able to identify, I suppose, the big movers in that space and put our efforts behind it and then legitimize it. And as I say, make it enterprise consumable. And so, as you pointed out in the introduction, banks and airlines and utilities and governments, et cetera, et cetera, rely a lot on, on what we do. And effectively, we've be, we, we coined the phrase many years ago, hybrid cloud, which has now become sort of a, a, a de jure type comment, I suppose, for, for how organizations run, even those organizations that were born in the cloud and only ever provided cloud. But as I said to a CIO of a bank one day, when he said, we're going all in to the cloud and that's all we're going to do. I said, that's interesting. So your core banking system on your mainframe, what are you going to do with that? He went, well, apart from that, obviously. And, <laughs> and so, you know, my, my point is, is that there will always be in most organizations, large organizations, I suppose, uh, a variety of different platforms. And our value proposition to organizations today is how do you optimize the way you run and manage and build all the for want of a better term, digital transformation type value propositions to your customer base and your your employee base with that cloud as 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 a as a platform, right? And and figuring out where best to run it and how how to optimize the way that runs across a variety of different platforms. And Max, what, what's the profile of your own span of control with the organization that you're running? Well, as you said, I've I've had a varied career and I was in Southeast Asia and South Asia with IBM, I'm running the Lotus business for many years. And then I was lucky enough to get an offer to come down and run that in ANZ. And I really liked it. And so when they gave me the option of moving to a very small organization relative to IBM at Red Hat um, to run ANZ, I was pretty excited. We had no presence in, in New Zealand, and now it's a significant part of our business. And <clears throat> I quite like the fact that I don't have to fly more than at best five hours. <laughs> To, to Perth and and just run the ANZ business and you know to to be able to work in an environment that I'd say pretty innovative I mean I think we're relatively early adopters of technology and that's been the case in in Red Hat you know we were some of the 
very early adopters of cloud computing, for example, and how we leveraged and ran that in, in ANZ. I think it's been a, a fabulous go. And I used to be part of a, a group of CEOs and I said, Matt, you must have been the longest serving CEO or I'm a sales director effectively of an organization in ANZ. And I probably have been, but it's been a very different job every year that I've, I've embarked on it. Yeah, Max, and you've obviously seen seen a lot of change. So in what ways has revenue generation models changed within the software industry and where do you, where do you think it's going? Well, you know, we were, the, we were probably the first, anyway, major organization to embark on the subscription model. So, you know, traditionally it was a license-based model with renewals or maintenance every year. And that was tough. I remember, you know, in some of my early days at IBM in, in Australia, trying to convince CIOs that despite the fact that they'd parted with millions of dollars the year before, they needed to give us another 10, 15% the next year when they hadn't deployed a lot of it, right? Yeah. And so the value proposition of the subscription, which by its very nature was substantially less than a traditional license model, endeared us to, to customers. And I think that's been a big evolution. Many organizations have adopted that. And we know a lot of the you know, relatively new platforms are desperate to try and evolve a subscription model because that annuity model has been very lucrative for us because traditionally customers renew, you know, every year. Yeah. You know, the great thing about open source is they don't have to. They can stop using us to today and still continue to use the software. It's, it's a perpetual model for that. They don't get the updates and fixes that we provide and they don't get the support and all that other stuff that goes with a subscription at, at Red Hat but they can still use the software. So I think it's a, a, an attractive value proposition. And then of course, cloud today is creating a very different market. You know, I think the hyperscalers have created a great marketplace. Organizations are finding that constructing a procurement process with a cloud hyperscaler has been sort of attractive. Interestingly, ISVs, you know, kind of like Red Hat, you can buy Red Hat value propositions on, on the, the marketplaces of the hyperscalers and use those today. And many organizations do. I've found that appealing. And it's interesting, you know, I think we're seeing effectively the hyperscalers almost evolving into traditional distribu distribution land in terms yeah. of what they're being able to, to facilitate. Max, you've had an amazing career. Uh, there's a lot of salespeople that watch this show to try and gain some insights into how to approach someone in the C-suite. But before we talk about that, talk about your own career path because your career path through leadership included a lot of selling, right? So this gives sure. hope to anybody in selling. It's a it's sure. a great path in business. Sure. You know, I, I was lucky enough, I stumbled into it. I, I, I grew up in Zimbabwe, did a degree in marketing, Bachelor of Commerce, majored in marketing at uh, the University of Natal in, in Peter Maritzburg. And then I went overseas and did the normal stuff. But I managed to find a mate in a pub who offered me a, as a sales rep in one of the very first IBM PC dealers in, in, in West London and evolved through that very early stage of, of, I suppose, the PC revolution. And then I got into, in those early days, I realized that hardware was becoming a bit of a, a challenge and that cost was the primary de definer of, of whether they bought it from me or not. So I moved into software and I sold accountancy software and then I progressed into working for, for Lotus, selling Lotus Notes. And probably some of the best times of my life because effectively, you know, my professor at, at university told me that marketing was business. And what was interesting, I was being exposed to a huge amount of business 
in selling accountancy software and then selling Lotus Notes. And I could almost walk into any organization and provide them with a solution to some of their deep down, down pains. And, you know, getting to grips with understanding how organizations run, understanding their pains, I think is an exciting thing, you know, for an inquisitive mind, which I think most of us have. And being able to help solve those problems is 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 wonderful and effectively that's what you do as a sales guy right or girl you're solving business problems and i think by being able to do that and also you know along the way actually make a few bob because it's been a lucrative career for us you know i started with literally nothing i had no money in my back pocket i had to borrow money to buy a suit for my first job and you know it, it it's paid us a, a good living over over time so i i i think selling in the IT world, you know, effectively solving business problems is very exciting. And if you get that right and are able to do it, and it's harder and harder and harder today, because, you know, they're so complex, all those problems. But if you can get to do that, you'll be a successful salesperson. So Max, there's some great wisdom there for everybody watching this. So for anyone in sales, uh, be genuinely curious. It's such an important trait in life. Be genuinely, genuinely curious about the world of your customer. Think about the real problems that you solve. So something that's a serious problem. Otherwise, there's not going to be serious money available to actually solve it. And turn up and have some insights. So, you know, you've heard from Max. He really gained some insights into how businesses were running and he could take that to any customer he was talking to. So, Max, let, let's talk about leading an organization because one of the reasons I think people that enter sales have got such an opportunity to progress into leadership is that any buffoon in business can cut costs, right? And there's so many things that you do as a leader and that all CEOs do. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to drive top line revenue growth in a way that really sustains. And a big part of your role and any leader's role, whether they're a smaller business with a board that they report to, or for yourself, you're reporting up into an overseas boss, What's your advice to leaders that are watching this right now in managing the expectations of their board or the or the boss above them, especially when it comes to forecasting? Yeah, there's a lot in that question. Let's take the last bit first. You know, I, I've had the adage that what you see is what you get. You know, you've got to be authentic and you've got to be able to balance being pragmatic and authentic and deliver the message and also sell the vision of positivity for the future. You know, as sales reps, you're trying to convince your sales manager that you understand how to close this piece of business. And, you know, we can talk about the process of getting there in due course. As a sales manager, you're effectively trying to sell to your boss the vision of, of you know, we've got this. We've got this. We, we figured out how to do this. These are the key deals that we're going to close. And you can trust my, my forecast. You got to deliver, but you know I've also never been afraid of of delivering bad news. I think that's important. You can't keep delivering bad news, otherwise you won't be delivering any news for for um, you know multiple quarters. But but I think that's the the practicality. Getting there is the complex beast, right? You know the forecast. I think is the end point. Getting there in terms of how do you build the business? How do you continue to drive top line growth? You know, Red Hat's been a, an aggressive growth company. Yeah. And we've had to deliver high double digit growth for years in order to convince the market that 
there was something in this open source thing. And then we actually got a bit of a following and, uh, you know, the, the, the share price went up pretty high and ended up with IBM paying $34 billion for us. $34 billion. I think at the time it was the highest valued acquisition in the IT industry, yes? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so definitely. It's yeah. certainly software anyway. Yeah, yeah incredible. And, and Max, I really agree with your comment that as a leader, we shouldn't be afraid of delivering bad news. I think it's so important that we deliver the bad news early, not late. And for all of the sales people watching this, I'm sure Max will agree with me because I've also run the region for North American multinationals in my life as well. But um, bad news early is usually something we can that we can do something about. We can find another deal to try and plug the gap. We can maybe go and turn things around if there's a problem. But bad news late and negative surprises just make pe people's heads explode, and it really damages the credibility of every system. Next year, I mean, uh, the forecast is the outcome, right? So yeah, you know, I think it's important to have a plan to communicate that plan, to show progress in 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 meeting that plan. You know finding great people, keeping great people, beginning to evolve opportunities to build the pipeline that gives confidence to your senior leadership that you've got this and you you know how to how to run it and build a business, right? Max, you, you just talked about finding great people. How would you describe the the sales culture that, that you've built in your business? Because You've delivered sustained double-digit growth, not off a small base, off very big numbers. You know, anybody can talk about, hey, we've got this percentage growth, isn't it impressive? But it's only impressive if it's off a big base, right? And you've been mm -hmm. working with a big base and still driving amazing growth. A big part of that, as I look at your organization, is the culture that, you know, that you and the team have created. So, so how would you describe that culture? And then at a secondary level, what do you look for in sellers and your sales leaders? Sure. I think, you know, culture and people is the primary value proposition that we can deliver as effectively, you know, the sales organization of a product company, you know, having great products is the key to the door, right? <laughs> One that helps you attract customers, which helps you attract, attract sales reps, etc. So, you know, a long, long time ago, I, I learned that, you know, as, as salespeople, we only have ourselves to organizations. And if you feel that you're good, make sure that you work for an organization that's got great products. Fortunately at Red Hat, we've got great products and have done and consistently grown more and haven't sat in our laurels, you know, like like we, a lot of organizations have done and then faded into, you know, history. But I, I think people, and, and it's trite, but it's, it's absolutely fair dinkum. People are the critical success factor if you've got the right products. And we've tried, at Red Hat we've had, because of the open source nature of the organization, a very authentic, open, collaborative type organization. You know, our previous CEO, Jim Whitehurst, would be at a sales kickoff and come and sit next to you and have a beer or have a bite to eat. And you wouldn't know that he was the CEO if you didn't know who he was. He'd just be a genuine, straight up guy. And he would do that more than once. And that was the, the nature of the organization. And I think, you know, because we were a little different, because we had started creating some success in, in ANZ, we attracted good people. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't try and run a culture where, you know, you know we, we've heard of the organizations that naturally want to get rid of the low, lowest 10% every year. That to yeah. me is budget, right? You know, 
you're dealing with people's livelihoods. Make sure you try and find the right people that you coach and develop them yeah. and that you're authentic and open with them so that they feel comfortable about being authentic and open with you. And to my point earlier about forecasts and surprises, et cetera, they'll feel comfortable. You know, We still, unfortunately, have the odd sales rep that's scared about putting an opportunity in to commit and they leave it in pipeline until the last minute because they're worried about inspection. We don't inspect. We, we try and help, you know, to build and develop and progress those opportunities. That's our objective. Inspection is, as far as I'm concerned, again, an anathema. What you really should be doing as sales leaders is helping sales reps be successful. And that's progressing opportunities, progressing careers, building capability through coaching and developing. And we've tried to keep that the primary culture at Red Hat. For a long time, unfortunately, we had a relatively flat organization because we were you know, very widely spread. So we didn't have a lot of opportunity to develop people into senior roles. So some people have been in sales roles for many, many years and have been comfortable. Their, their careers have changed dramatically from running you know, 50 to 100 accounts now to probably running one or two and being very successful at doing that. And that is progression and development for those people as well. Fortunately, we're now reasonably large organization, we've got 250-ish to 300 people in, in ANZ in the sales services marketing organization. And so we've, had, we've been able to develop from within and build, build a, a, a good culture of leaders. And they've all come from the field, majority anyway, as salespeople into sales roles, if not with Red Hat, outside of Red Hat, and have spent long, a long time at Red Hat and evolved into that culture. And people genuinely are um, surprised because yeah. you know we, we talk about the culture all the time at Red Hat, but I think we walk the talk in terms of delivering on that too. Well, Max, I really love that because I've I've always believed that culture is nothing more, nothing less, less than the lived values and the manifested behaviour of the leaders. And I I really love that comment you made a couple of minutes ago about you know if someone's not performing. You know, we need to look at ourselves. We need to use a mirror as the first diagnostic tool and be able to look ourselves in the in the eye and say, we've done everything that we can possibly do to help this person be successful. You know, it's it's so easy to blame the employee. It's our job to remove the, the roadblocks and set them up for success. So, Absolutely. yeah, I, I really, really agree, yeah. And we do often have to have performance improvement yeah. plans for, for reps that aren't making it, right? But absolutely the objective is let's between us try and figure out whether you know you've got the ability to, to to do this, and we'll do everything in our power to help you get there. But sometimes, you know, it, it might be better for you and less stressful for you personally yeah. if uh, if if you decide that it's not the right thing for you, and it's not right for everyone, right? Not yeah. everyone can be a, a, a business problem solver and a, a sales process negotiator to to close an opportunity. Hey, Max, I've, I've just seen a question come in from Brendan um, asking. What's your view of finding the right talent today? We know it's increasingly difficult to find great salespeople. I guess, I guess within the IT industry, it, you know, it's, it's difficult. What's your advice about finding great people today in the software industry? Sure, and you know, I think almost every profession is struggling with finding the right people at the moment. But IT in particular, and in ANZ especially, because we haven't had immigration for for a couple of years. But uh, you know, I, I think. 
sometimes we're guilty in the industry of plowing the same furrow and looking for people in the same space all the time. And, you know, recruiters often do this because I appreciate it's easy to sell the capability to the future employer that this person's done it before. But I've often found good salespeople come from left field. You know, some of my best salespeople have come from related, but sometimes relatively unrelated parts of the industry, if not in new parts of the industry. And, you know, I think selling is selling. And I think we should maybe broaden our, our aperture a little, especially because we're all struggling to find good good people. And as I said earlier, you know, I think you can earn a, a, a good buck in this industry if you're reasonably successful. And I think you can earn probably more than in most industries as a salesperson. So I think we should broaden that aperture a little. And we're trying, you know, so for example, in, in Canberra, not in the sales industry in particular, but in technical roles as well, we need consultants, right? And we need technical salespeople. And so we're working with uh, a, a partner in trying to find veterans in the, in the Army and the, and the Navy and, and the Air Force and bring them into our organization. They can go. We, we've got a great learning services organization. And so they can do all the enablement and get some of the certifications. And as a result, we, we can give people roles that have probably not been in the industry before, right? And so I think those are the sorts of things that we've got to get better at doing. And I think other industries probably have done that better than the IT industry. One of the hard things is because of the technology requirement, oftentimes we, we, we think that that is a, as, as a prerequisite. But I do think we, we might need to broaden our horizon. Obviously, in technical sales roles, that might not be the case. But yeah. I'll never forget the first time I went for that, that role as a sales rep. And I picked up the PC magazine. <laughs> and I thought, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> but you did a whole lot of work to, to equip yourself and enable yourself. And I was vociferous in terms of my study to make sure that you, you could get every day and, and actually impart some wisdom. Hey, Max, I'm seeing uh, lots of questions coming through. We've got people from Spain, the USA. There's there's people I've known for years. Bryn Hughes, hi, 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 mate. It's really good to see you tuning in here. Hey, there's a question from Bryn. He's asking, um, what are the leading indicators, Max, that you tend to focus on from a metrics point of view beyond the traditional things of sort of pipeline? Gee, we, we've tried to do a lot of work in this regard. I, I, I've evolved what I call a recipe for success in this industry where you're given the products, right? So let's let's take away the, the manufacturing part or the development side of the of the, the business. But effectively, you know, as a, as a as a sales leader, director, you've got a few lever, levers to, to pull. One of those is coverage. How do you optimize the coverage of the market mm. um, or the traditional pyramid of you know going to the top obviously for the for the big big dollars to begin with and then eventually broadening that and we've been trying to do that for as long as I've been at, at Red Hat and then it's almost a, a conflict how do you evolve some focus within that regard hmm. how do you build productivity within those those people how do you continue to develop capability you know sales capability technical capability and then you know I, I was lucky enough to as I said major in marketing and I'm a passionate believer of marketing being integrated with sales and making sure that we integrate and and go to market together as as a coordinated marketing and sales organ, organization to build you know opportunity identification and then evolve that into a pipeline. But we also try and do things like 
you know, what are the critical success factors at progressing an opportunity from A to Z and making sure that we, we measure whether we're doing those or not, for example, right? So I think yeah, there's like a lot of key performance indicators that you can evolve across your business that are leading indicators towards that pipeline and that forecast and focus on, on making sure that those are being done and those are being done consistently across the, the organization. Yeah, Max, I really agree with that. And I know that, that, that Red Hat focuses strongly, for example, on account planning you know, with, with these important accounts. So things like doing account planning to truly know the customer, focusing on what creates a deal progression, you know, time stuck in stage. Because the thing we all know is that between opening and closing is the middle, and the middle is often where deals can stall or die. So I know that you and your leaders focus very much on how do we create progression? Are we creating the right commercial value for the customer to sustain their motivation? Do we really understand their process? Have we achieved consensus for change? So yeah, all of those things are important. Especially when it's so complex today, yeah. And the opportunity to solve a problem has so many different solutions. How do you help the customer identify the best one? Yeah. And I think, you know, we work really closely with our services team as well and our technical sales teams to make sure that we help doing that, that opportunity identification piece and then that exploration of the opportunity with the customer to make sure that they understand what the problem is oftentimes they don't um, right. and then and then you know we can overlay how we we solve that problem for them yeah that's great advice hey max in a moment we'll just we'll pivot in a moment and provide some advice for sellers for the salespeople here of how to get to a ceo someone like max but i've got a question here also from nikhil he's saying working for a global company how do you manage global expectations around growth you know especially in the last two years where the market's been very tough so how do you manage those expectations around revenue growth expectations? Yeah, I think I alluded to it earlier. You know, I think you've got to evolve a, a recipe and a plan um, for success. You've got to make sure you sell that and then you've got to execute against that. Now, gee, it's tough to find new business in this virtual world, right? And you, you can't go and have a coffee or a bite to eat with a prospective um, customer or partner and evolve opportunity that way. So that has been very tough. And I, I take my hat off to my sales team and my marketing team for doing that. But we've just tried to pivot towards doing much more virtual events to try and replace what we've done um, that way. But you just gotta sell the vision. And if you don't have the pipeline, if you don't have the plan, it's hard to sell that vision. You are selling, a vision about how to do it and yeah i mean it's it's been rough you know yeah. i can't say it's been easy for me either because sometimes the numbers don't don't quite add up right and the yeah. vision for for what you've been given as a, and what you can deliver sometimes are, are, are ways apart but as long as you're progressively getting closer yeah. and organizations can see that you're progressively getting closer and i don't think anyone's naive enough even above us to appreciate that it's a perfect world at the moment. So if you're making progress, you're growing faster than your peers, et cetera, then you can you can allay some of those concerns as long as you're fair dinkum. I think, you know, yeah. don't, don't bullshit, be fair dinkum, <laughs> tell them the bad news and, and show them that there's a few bells and whistles at the end of the, 
the day. Yeah, and Nikhil, you know, obviously the reality is for many of us running a region is we can do as much bottom-up planning and presenting what we think the number should be. Often we just get a number imposed on us anyway, you know, as part of a global growth strategy, and we're just told, go and find a way. Yeah, so obviously we just need to manage those expectations. I, I agree with Max 100%. Hey, Max, let's let's provide some advice for sellers. So my first question is this. If you think about your average week, how often do you get a phone call from someone trying to sell to you in an average week? Oh, a couple of times a week, I'd say. You know, one of the things that I, I'm not really asked to do is to be a big procurer of stuff, right? Yeah. So we have lots of functional organizations that support us for offices and IT and all that other stuff, right? You know, hiring has been one of the areas that obviously I've, I've got some um, insight into. But again, we've evolved our own internal talent organization to do that. So I get a lot of those calls and, you know, one of the things that I think sellers need to appreciate is you are getting a lot of those. And so how do you differentiate? Yeah. The thing I dislike the most is people that assume I know them and I don't. So that's hard. I think you've got to be respectful in terms of how you approach someone and just, again, try and be fair dinkum. You know, this is what I do. You know, the last thing you want as a seller is to waste your time with someone that doesn't have a budget or doesn't yeah. have the responsibility to, 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 to acquire things. So try and get to that nub really quickly, qualify that really quickly without being assumptive. And uh, that, that would be my recommendation, right? Max, I'm really with you. I'm really with you. I remember when I was running the APAC region for a multinational, I'd get bombarded by recruiters. And, and we had a policy in the company where it was all done in-house, so I couldn't use an external recruitment agency at the time. And the first thing that annoyed me was this disingenuous friending kind of approach from a stranger. So, you know, that didn't work well. But I would literally say to them, look, you know, you're selling to someone who can't buy. There's a, there's a global policy in place. I can't use an agency. And then they just keep selling. And I'd say, you're, you're not listening. You're trying to sell to someone who can't buy from you. Oh, you know, oh, but if we could say, so it just gets annoying. So yeah, definitely people need 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 to listen. So there's there, there's definitely some good advice there. What's typically the best time of day to get to someone in your role? You know, you've got hundreds of people, lots of managers yeah. reporting up to you. And in, in, in the days of pre-COVID, I guess the travel time in and you know, from the office was a great time. But now, now that we're not doing the traveling, when do you think is the best time for someone to get to someone like you? Yeah, I, I wouldn't know because I would imagine everyone's day is kind of different, right? Um, but, yeah, not too early. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know, eight, eight, half eight probably is good. Five, five thirty. I don't know. Okay. So, so sort of the shoulders of the day, do you? Okay. The middle of the day, you're generally involved in something, right? You are. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Last thing you want is someone to, to disturb you while you're trying to shove a sandwich down your mouth okay. in the half half an hour or ten minutes that you've got in between meetings. Okay, yeah. so the so the shoulders of the day rule for getting to C-suite executives is still true in a world where people aren't travelling in and out of the office every day. Okay, I'd say so. And and in your view, no earlier than eight a.m. So if it was earlier than eight a.m., would be crossing the line. I think it's it's hard to. To impose on people's time you know if they've got kids they're probably in the school process or at least trying to feed their kids and whatever else right so that's always tough and and so you, you've got to respect those sorts of things and i think you know we are humans 
you know, we're all humans. So just yeah. pay respect to what, what humans should be doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, um, let's, let's maybe change the topic a little bit. What's your advice for contacting you and not getting delegated away? Right. So, so what are the types of things people need to talk about that resonate with you as a leader? I, I think I alluded to it earlier. It's all about the issue that you, you're faced with, right? So, for example, my business would be growth. You know, again, I get many people approaching me because they think they can find me a whole lot of prospects. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be disingenuous, but why do you think you're better at finding prospects than 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 my sales organization. So some insight I think is important, right? Yeah. Having a little insight into how the organization runs and then being able to pick up on an issue that I'm likely to be facing and and then try and 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 break through. My point is, you know, as a sales rep, I always used to try and do this, do the do the homework and that can take a while and then make the call and have it really really lined up quickly. Hi, Tony, Max McLaren, I'm from so-and-so, so-and-so. I think you've got this issue. Am I right? I think I've got a solution. I can do so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Simple as that, right? And I could say to them, sorry, I, I don't have that issue. So-and-so might have that issue, you know, or they could say, is someone else responsible in your organization for that? But just straight up, I don't think you need to, 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 to have any camouflage. Okay. Yeah, for most organizations, people are busy, but I think most sales people, most procurement people actually do appreciate that if someone's done the piece of work and hit you with something that's on the on the money, you're absolutely gonna you're absolutely going to give them some time, right? Yeah. Okay. Hey Max, we're just getting close to wrapping up. Have you got any great examples, good good or bad, of sellers trying to gain the attention of someone in the C suite? You know, something you thought, wow, that that worked really well, or gee, you know, that was a big miss. Yeah, I mean, I've had a few procurers that have come through to me, and they just nail it because they've they've correlated what the issue is I have very quickly. So I remember, I remember, for example there was a graduate procurement organization. I don't know if they still still exist. They were called ProGrad. And oh. I'll never forget them calling me and saying, we know it's really hard. This is many years ago. We know it's really hard to find good salespeople. Have you thought about building uh, a graduate trainee program? And I'd say, sure, but it's hard. And I said, what happens if we could, what happens if we could help you with the hard bit and just give you, you know, as, as qualified graduate potential hires as possible and I thought shit that's a no-brainer would you mind spending a day with us and being part of the process to go through weeding out some of the good grads and I was in you know yeah. and again it wasn't something that was top of my 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 day in terms of an issue it was something at the back of your your mind and you know we weren't a big organization at the time and so we didn't have the capacity to build our own graduate trainee program we're beginning to do that, especially down in, in, in Canberra in our in our services business and have been for a number of years now and progressing those people through the organization, which is very exciting. But we didn't have the capacity to do that. And so, you know, they hit me with something that, as I said, probably wasn't top of my mind, yeah. but if they made the assumption that I probably did. And Another so they hit money. Me yeah. With it. 
and and they were straight up. You know, there was there was no bells and whistles. It was just here's the value proposition, Max. <laughs> does it resonate or doesn't it? Hey, Max, I'll just go to one last question from our audience, Thirumalai, and I hope I pronounced that name correctly. And Max, you just talked about professional services. I know a big part of Red Hat's revenue is services, although you're very partner-centric. So your channel or your partners generate huge numbers of services around Red Hat as well. But the question from Thirumalai is, what about forecasting professional services versus product? Do you think there's any differences or things to consider there? Gee, I would say it's almost easier in the professional services business for our, our guys to forecast. They've got two challenges. They have to forecast revenue as well as bookings. Yeah. But you know, I think generally the opportunities are a little bit more developed when the professional services guys get engaged, in our business anyway. So I would say it's almost a little easier. And you know, I mean, really it's basic fundamental qualification. Go through the methodologies. There's thousands of them out there. You know, I remember the very first one I had, need willingness competition, right? And you just go through the the, the process and, and figure out whether you're you, you, you've qualified it according to the, the methodology that your organization uses or that you personally use. And, 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 and I think you've got a better chance in the services space because there's probably a little less competition. It depends. I mean, sometimes services are, are, are quite generic, but yeah. in our software business, it's, it's quite specific. So it's a, it's a bit harder. And yeah, absolutely. We use a lot of partners. They oftentimes have been doing you know, multiple services engagements for that, that, yeah. that customer. And so they're probably closer to the customer in terms of understanding not just the requirements, but also the process to, to close stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And Thirumali, the other thing I'd encourage you to think about is that any professional services organization is very familiar with, with, with project plans and actually building out a Gantt chart project plan apply that thinking to your selling. So actually create a mutual plan with the client as soon as you can in the selling process so that there's no nasty surprises. So we're all aligned with timing and process for actually getting the deal done. So And also that sales process, Tony, you know, generally there is, you know, identifying the opportunity, qualifying it, and then proposing it, right? In, yeah. in very short terms. Make sure that your process of qualifying it is yeah. solid Start. because that's the piece that allows you to, to forecast correctly. Yeah, especially making sure the customer's got a strong business case for securing approval because at the end of the day, they're going to be competing for resources and funding internally. So so I really love that. Hey, Max, we'll just wrap up. So I'm assuming the best way for people to connect with you is in LinkedIn. So Max McLaren in LinkedIn, yeah? Great, yes, okay, absolutely. thank you. And Max, here's my last question. If you could go back in time to meet the 25-year-old self, what what advice would you give yourself? I, I was, I'm assuming you were living back near South Africa then at the time? No, know, I was in, in the UK. London? Time, UK, in London, okay. Very early days. And, you know, as a, as a, as a sales rep in those very early days, you know, one of, the, one of the things I think you don't appreciate is that you've got something to offer organizations, right? Depending on how good you are, that you know that offer is much bigger or smaller, right? But but be confident. Be confident in in you as a as a commodity that you can bring to an organisation. And as I said, if, as long as they've got good products, and you need as a as a pr 
prospective salesperson or whatever to, to do that piece of work, that homework to identify just how good their stuff is. Be confident that you are a commodity and, uh, and that they, they need you just as much as you need them. And I don't think we appreciate that. It's kind of like dating, you know, as a, as a guy, anyway, you're always paranoid about what the girl would think about you. Right. And uh, you know, it's the same as a sales rep. You, you, you've, you've got both them needing good salespeople with good capability and, and you needing a, a good company with good products so that if the two get together, you can be successful. Max, it's funny you use that analogy. Uh, in my book, Combo Prospecting, I've got a little piece in the book about how to be the hottest one at the bar. And it sort of does that dating analogy, right? But it's, it's so important as a seller that we don't come across as needy or desperate, you know, and that we're just all about the other person because you're right, there's, there's mutual benefit. Right, so we definitely want to don't want to be needy, and we all need to drop the need to be liked in life. Right, the, the reality is, hey, we can either genuinely help the person or we can't. Let's not waste each other's time. So I really think that's great advice. You know, I talked about capability earlier. So as a salesperson, your primary capability is your ability to qualify. So if you haven't done it, make sure that you gen up on one of the the, the, the processes. There's a hundred out there. I love solution <laughs> selling. We're using Medipick at the moment. Yeah, at, at Redknapp. Just make sure you you gen up on that and that you you're confident in how you apply that to an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Max, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy. Uh, you run a phenomenal organization. Great leader. Thank, thanks for being on the CEO Sales Insights Show, Max. We really appreciate it. And for everybody, please make sure you go to salesiqglobal.com. So thanks, everybody, for attending. Thanks for the questions that came through. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them. And uh, I'll see you on the next CEO Sales Insights Show. Thanks, Max. See you, everybody. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.